0: Put that coffee down. Coffee is for creators only. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm inviting you to an exclusive accountability program that will help you set and achieve your creative goals. It costs nothing but your time and patience. Go to coffeeisforcreators.com to learn more. On this episode of Trumpet Dynamics...
1: Not everyone's path into a career is a straight line. There may be some sharp right turns and some 180 degree turns and 360 degree turns in that path, but, but that's okay. And so I'm not thinking about the eye to finger connection. When I perform, and I encourage my students when they perform, to just have fun. When you're actually playing the trumpet, you should not be thinking about any of those things. Those are things that you think about in the safe zone of an applied lesson and in the safe, controlled, artificial environment of a practice room.
0: Hey folks, this is James Newcomb, and welcome to Trumpet Dynamics, telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. And we are going to add to the growing story of the trumpet with our guest, He's the professor of trumpet at the University of Kentucky, and as we mentioned in our pre-interview banter, which the premium subscribers can listen to on my mobile app, com slash app, we were just talking about how much of an art scene there is in Kentucky. I mean, you wouldn't think of Kentucky as being a bastion of the arts, but there is a lot, and I can attest to it because I lived there for a couple of years in uh, the late aughts of 20 of the 21st century. But uh, there's a lot going on and Jason is right there in the thick of it. We're just going to chew the fat, get to know each other and let y'all get to know him as well. So, welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: For trumpet players obviously, but I like to cuz every person on it has their own story and their own motivation and their own reasons for continuing to do it and things they do when they're not playing trumpet. And I mean, sometimes I read these bios of, uh, and not just yourself, but other people, everybody's got their bio and they've done this and done this. And then it's all trumpet, trumpet, trumpet. And I'm like, don't these people ever have any fun? But then you realize, wait, this is fun for them.
1: I I joke with my students, uh, particularly when they're playing the trumpet in a very tense way. Mm. And one of the ways I try to impel them to relax is I say, look, I chose to play the trumpet for a living cuz it beats work. Why are you working so hard? This is a great thing to do and it sure beats it sure beats real work, right?
0: Well, I think there is if you if you were to think real hard, you might find some things that associated with being a professional musician that might amount to real work.
1: Oh, it is. It's just a joke, you know, of course. <laughs> right. And anyone that knows me, and I, I like to keep a pretty ridiculous schedule and keep a lot of plates spinning. So mm-hmm. I, I love to work hard, actually. That's a little joke I like to say, especially mm-hmm. when working with students uh, who may play with a lot of tension and be like, man, well, this is supposed to
0: be fun. And what do you think is the cause of that tension in, in these students? Sometimes
1: it is a physical thing where the way they hold the trumpet, the way they sit, the way they stand. I know certainly for me, when I was in high school and college, um, I experienced pain when I played the trumpet, actually more often than not. Wow. And uh, so I studied Alexander Technique in college, uh, not at the university, but... Well, actually, I guess I did have lessons at the university, but there was someone who came like once a month and gave lessons. Uh, Joseph Lee was his name there in Virginia. And uh, that helped me a lot. And so that's one thing is someone's physical posture. Sometimes it's the pre-flight check that people have before they play, where they they bring the horn to their face, but before they blow wind into the horn, they need to lick the mouthpiece, uh, take three breaths, hold the breath before they blow. Um, you know, click their heels together three times, whatever it is, you know, um, sometimes it's the, the the pre-flight check. And I guess the third thing, I guess, that might lead to tension is just sort of that mental tension, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be yeah. anxiety, uh, anxiety about the performance or the audition or just anxiety about picking up a trumpet in general, anxiety about being at their trumpet lesson, whatever it mm-hmm. might be. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons. I joked before and said why, why trumpet is so fun, but there are actually a lot of legitimate reasons why it might not be fun and yes. why it might uh, promote physical tension. So, you know, one of my, probably my, my top goal in working with a student, certainly my top goal for a new student that I meet is just to make the process of playing the trumpet as efficient as possible. Um, I avoid using the term as relaxed as possible. And I avoid using the term be totally relaxed because in truth, if you're totally relaxed, you're dead. Um, (laughs) I I prefer the term that Arnold Jacobs coined minimal motors where you use the motors that you need to use and you don't use the ones you don't need to use. You know, you use your your inspiration muscles when you inhale and you use your exhalation muscles when you exhale but you don't contract your exhalation muscles when you inhale uh, and vice versa. I think there are a lot of reasons for tension, and it's a real passion of mine to help students to play more efficiently.
0: Mm. What what kind of pain did you feel when you were playing in university?
1: I, I had back pain. I had wrist pain. Really? And I also I had a great deal of abdominal pain. Um really? I'm actually, yeah. Um, I ended up having to have surgery for a hernia. It's a whole long story. I had pain in a lot of places. And I just remember being in college and wanting to practice and practicing for a short time and being like, I just physically can't play anymore. Like I, I can't, like it hurts too much to play. Learning to overcome the physical tension in my playing was a really important thing. Not just the longevity of my career. Mm. I'm happy to say now I've been at this for a long time now. I never have pain when I play. I can't Mm. tell you the last time when I played and had pain anywhere in my body. Um, Mm. I've been very fortunate these last 15 years or so, like no pain. So Alexander Technique works, you know, and I think I'm a a, a living example of that. But I had substantial pain. And, you know, if you if you just research, you know, the number of professional musicians who experience pain, um, the number of, I was reading something not so long ago about cello players who play in orchestras. Again, don't quote me on this. Look it up for yourself. But something like around two-thirds of professional cellists experience pain every time they play. It, it shouldn't be that way. I'm old enough now uh, that some of the, my colleagues who are my age, I have colleagues who've had like uh, carpal tunnel and tendonitis, all kinds of musculoskeletal you know problems. Once I was like doing the Alexander technique for maybe two or three years, like all the pain went away, and it's never been back since. Both in trumpet and also in other areas of my life. For you, hours ago I finished a two-hour workout exercising, and like I don't hurt the next day. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And um, I can drive a long car trip and sit properly in my car seat and not hurt after a four-hour drive. You know, so. Um, I'm a big believer in Alexander technique and learning to use your body correctly.
0: So he's a walking advertisement for the Alexander technique. Gonna buy the Check shirt. Check it out. Yeah, he's gonna buy the company. He liked it so much, he bought the company.
1: <laughs> well, I don't believe it's a company, but um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and and there are people who know way more about it than I do. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Judith Saxton, who's a trumpet player who just got uh, certified in Alexander technique a few years ago, and she oh, great. has masterclass thing that she does where she really incorporates it. And Alexander Technique is not just posture, I should say. Not so long ago, I had a conversation with with Judas Saxon about this. It's really more about self-awareness and establishing good habits, unlearning old habits. Alexander taught you have to establish a new habit to get rid of an old habit that old habits are going to kind of always be there but the new habit has to be stronger than the old habit and the way to establish a new habit is by doing really simple things you know so like in trumpet lessons uh, even with like doctoral students like sometimes we do some really basic stuff not with every student but with students who come to me and say i can't get through orchestra rehearsal because it hurts too much you know like mm-hmm. we'll do really basic stuff Because the way to establish a new habit is through self-awareness and really simple things that you re-educate your body and how to use it. So it's not just posture, it's also, uh, it's bigger than that.
0: You know, it's interesting, you're talking about the physical ailments that you experienced when you are in college, Uh, but in my experience, because I've had physical ailments as well that prevented me from playing, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I had to learn how to play more efficiently. I had a tooth removed. About 12 years ago, one of my front wow. teeth. And there was this whole process of getting a titanium screw put into my mouth and then that heals and then a bone graft. And then you put in the actual, the actual replacement tooth. It was two years from the time that I actually had the first uh, surgery to have the tooth removed to the finally I can actually, I have a real tooth in there. But of course I had to learn how to play more efficiently because I was in the army. That was my job. I had to do my job. It turned out to be a blessing in disguise to go through that physical thing because, hey, I ended up being a better player because of it. And it sounds like you kind of had the same result.
1: Yeah, you know, my late father had this saying, um, a bad experience is a good teacher. And I'm uh, thankful, even though we joked at the beginning about pain and playing and not being so good when I was younger and everything, but You know, I really had to step by step figure out how to play the trumpet, had to overcome a lot of problems. In retrospect, I'm thankful for that because I know a thing or two about helping someone with an embouchure change because I had to go through one. I know a thing or two about teaching someone how to breathe because my breathing was very, very bad when I was in college. I've conquered physical pain and um I've had to learn to become more efficient as a trumpet player. So yeah, for sure, I'm I'm very thankful for that.
0: Well, I want to hear your story. Like, when did you first get started? What what made you want to play the trumpet the very first time, and what made you want to continue to do it?
1: Well, uh, this is sort of a silly story, but in high in uh, middle, like actually, I didn't go to middle school. I uh, we had a K through seven band, and then sorry, we had a K through seven elementary school, and then. And then we had a eight through 12 high school. I have a little joke that it took me five years to finish high school, but I did graduate valedictorian. And that's true. Uh, but um, so in, in, uh, in, in fifth grade, when it came time to choose an instrument, I chose percussion. And I just hated it. First of all, I was a small guy. I'm still a small guy. And, um, and uh, lugging that snare drum on the school bus every day just about killed me. And I remember telling a friend of mine, like, you know, this sucks. I'm going to quit band. Mm -hmm. And my friend played trumpet. And he was like, well, why don't you just try another instrument? You know, you could come join uh, the trumpet section. And there were a a couple of folks I was playing baseball with, Little League Baseball, that they were playing in the trumpet section. And so I thought, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. And I don't know. It was something about playing it that was really fun. Mm-hmm. and i was about the worst percussionist that was there the first band concert i played on trumpet i was first chair like it i seemed to you know like it worked for me and I, and i i had a passion to practice it now well, this is first chair in like rural virginia like so it wasn't that big of an achievement, achievement or anything but i gravitated to it pretty quickly i guess what made me choose to pursue music as my career would be two things first my high school band director greg oaks uh, who was a trumpet player himself and a great trumpet player. Uh, he played a lot in, in band, especially in jazz band. And I want to be like him and be able to play as well as him. And then I, I grew up very close, like 20 miles from James Madison University. They had like this summer camp called the Skyland Brass Music Festival. I don't think it exists anymore, but they they had it for several years. And I did it for a few summers in high school. And I remember hearing the faculty brass quintet. And hearing like chamber music for the first time and hearing professional level, actually, to be honest, professional level music for the first time. Because I grew up in a town of 1800, Shenandoah, Virginia. I'd never heard like professional music making other than like, I guess, a bluegrass group or something, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember hearing that the trumpets in that were Jim Kleisner, who ended up being my teacher later on. And the second trumpet was Brian Balmages. I don't know if you know that name or not, but he's like yes. super famous composer now. And I remember just hearing like this high level trumpet playing and high level chamber music, and being like, "Dude, this is awesome! I want more of this." I went back to my high school the next the next school year, and like got a quintet together, and ended up pursuing music. You know, I'll tell. You, it's funny here's something, even though I've done a bunch of these podcast things, here's a story I haven't actually told uh, on a podcast about choosing music. I actually wasn't all in on being a music major. What I wanted to do was computer engineering or computer science. Um, I always have loved and still love computers and technology um, and uh, and all those sorts of things. And even today, like I love messing with you know, Pro Tools and editing video. And the, the pandemic has been right for me to spend time like messing with this stuff. I, I love it. I only applied to one college, uh, James Madison University. It was the closest one to my house. I was a first generation college student. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was very lucky that it was like the state's best music school and most only really at that time, comprehensive music school. Um, there are other really great schools in, in Virginia now, but at the time that was like, I thought the only big music school I had like filled out the application and had checked computer science on the application. There was another event at GMU called Brass Bash it was like a it was all day Saturday brass event. And at that event, that same trumpet player I mentioned before, Brian Mages, he asked me, he's like, I was a high school senior and he asked me, he's like, so you're going to come to GMU next year and be a music major? And I was like, "Well, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to GMU. I think it's the only school I'm applying to. But I'm not going to do music. Uh, I might play in the band or something, marching band. But I'm going to do computer science." And he said something like, "Well, you'll never see Kleesner if you don't do music. Kleesner was the you know trumpet professor. And uh, I, I don't know how if it's that way now, but at that time you couldn't study. You couldn't take trumpet lessons if you were a music minor. And so I thought, well, here's what I'll do. I'm going to check the box that says music major." So that way I'll get some lessons, you know, but just as soon as I sound like Maynard Ferguson, then I'll, <laughs> I'll actually, you know, start doing the computer science thing. And then I'll I'll be able to play like Maynard Ferguson, but then I'll get a job in, in computers. You know, that was sort of like my devious scheme. <laughs> so that's probably not the most inspirational story for like why I chose music. But it's the true story. That's kind of what happened. And um, it's kind of weird. You know, we began, especially in in the pre-interview section, talking about like pain while playing and and, like not being very good and all this stuff. But for some reason, I stuck with it. I I don't know. Looking back, maybe because I wasn't very good, maybe because I wanted to overcome those obstacles, I stuck with it. I I don't know. But I stuck with it. And um, I never I think I took one computer science class, you know, never went beyond that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: During the pandemic, did some like Codecademy online classes to sort of just explore that a little bit. But once I got in, I was sort of hooked. And um, I love it. I, at, at this point, I can't imagine doing anything else with my life.
0: Now, it's interesting that you um computers, because I interviewed Peter Pickett, who's in your neck of the woods, I guess it was two years ago. And he's his interview is on the archives, which is on my mobile app. Uh, it's not on Apple or Spotify or anything. But I didn't realize that he was like a full blown computer nerd until very recently. I mean, he started his mouthpiece business and worked full time in computers, and then basically full time making mouthpieces until just recently. I didn't I didn't even know that about him.
1: Yeah, he's a he's a great guy, and we are so lucky to have him in Lexington. Peter, like me, is from Virginia. He's actually from Charlottesville, Virginia, which is where my summer gig is. Again, in the in the pre-show, we were talking about just getting back to town. I, I just finished playing uh, the summer season, my 10th summer season in Charlottesville, Virginia. And his parents, Peter's parents, come come to the opera in the summers. It's kind of a cool connection. Although I didn't actually know Peter until I came. I met him for the first time when I moved to Lexington, Peter and I have a bit of a joke that I rarely see him in Lexington. I I only see him like around (laughs) the country when like at ITG conference or at NTC or something, you know, (laughs) even though he works like 1.3 miles from where I work. (laughs) We're both so busy with other things, you know, but I always (laughs) make time to bother him at conferences (laughs) and stuff like that. (laughs) But he is great and he has a really interesting background. Yeah, in in many ways, I guess it's a little bit similar to, to mine. Except that he actually finished the music degree and the comp- and the engineering degree, I never went so deep into computer stuff
0: well it's a good skill to have It's something to fall back on it's because sometimes musicians need a day job. Nothing wrong with having a day job that you enjoy doing and doing what you love to do when you're not doing your quote day job your your quote real job
1: It's funny because like now, like learning how to use Pro tools is what I do for fun. And playing the trumpet or teaching the trumpet is what I do for a living. So it's sort of like the literal inverse of what I planned to do when I went to college. So for any college students listening, like, you know, if you don't have it figured out now exactly what you're going to do, that's okay. You know, it'll work out. Uh, Not everyone's path through college, and into a career is a straight line. Uh, mine certainly wasn't. There may be some sharp right turns and some 180-degree turns and 360-degree turns in that path, but but that's okay. And more to the point of what we said at the beginning about, like, not just telling the story of Jason Doval. I should say I had a great experience at JMU. My teacher, Jim Kleisner was just perfect, and my teaching is so much like his teaching. I'm not as good as him as a teacher. He was a, such, just a master teacher, but I do my best.
0: So, have you ever played like Maynard Ferguson since you made that vow?
1: Oh, maybe even today. <laughs> 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 yeah, don't we all like to try to play high and loud, right? Isn't that what it's all about? Yeah, uh, you know what's funny? Know. One of the things I do now a lot is baroque trumpet. Right. And I guess I guess I channel my inner Maynard Ferguson through playing the Baroque Trumpet because to play Baroque Trumpet and to play melodies in the Baroque Trumpet, you know, one must play very high. Yes. I think the difference is though on the Baroque Trumpet, I tell my students the default dynamic on Baroque Trumpet is like mezzo piano, maybe mezzo forte. So certainly good range is an important skill, but it's not blasting. At least in my yeah. opinion, it shouldn't be.
0: Now I, I wanna know, first of all, these skills that you have, these like quote, non-musical skills. Do you ever find yourself as a teacher or as a player? Do these computer skills ever translate into success as a player or a teacher?
1: I think there are many transfers between music and other areas of life. Going in one direction, I think that the skills we learn in music certainly transfer to other careers, and people can do a music degree and be successful afterwards. I think what you're asking is more of the reverse though. What about these other skills in music? And certainly during this past year, absolutely. You know, one of the things that we did this year was we made a bunch of recordings and um, we don't have quite enough for a full CD yet. We're maybe halfway there and we'll be releasing that once we get a few more things in the can. But certainly I've talked to my current UK students a lot about microphones, audio editing, good cameras, you know, we, we got a fleet of GoPros and we're trying to make some videos and stuff like that. So certainly that comes up. It also comes up in the scheme of entrepreneurship a little bit, especially with my graduate students, as they are applying for jobs and stuff like that, or applying for Upperclassmen applying for graduate school this year, most schools were online auditions. So, having a really good uh, packet uh, for that pre screen that you because you're not going in person, you know, it's so important. So, mm. and yeah, I think even on the trumpet directly, you know, I think sometimes, especially with my students who do know something about technology and computers, certainly there are some transfers. You know, it's funny two days ago one of my students, so I have this seven-year-old son who like took swim lessons, but like hasn't quite learned how to swim yet. And we just went to the beach and like, here's my seven-year-old who can't swim in the ocean. And I'm like, we got to get him to swim. And I have um, a student who's president of the University of Kentucky Triathlon Club, does triathlons and has been a competitive swimmer for 11 years. He actually swam against Ryan Lochte, when they were both in high school, like this guy's the real deal. Student's name is Zach. I was like, you know, I'm going to call Zach because Zach's this like cool guy that would be my kids would look up to and they listen to him more than me. And so I call Zach. I'm like, you want to teach my seven year old how to swim? And he's like, sure, I'll let's do it. And what's so funny is as Zach was telling me the kinds of things that we should have be having my son do. He was making so many trumpet analogies.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And it was so funny trumpet analogies to swimming, you know, in terms of the breathing and everything and it was so funny to see my student now showing how music transfers. He's actually teaching someone how to swim based on what he's learned from me in trumpet. That was just kind of cool. So
0: when you're teaching your students what are some of the physical things could be i mean you've already you just mentioned it it's a perfect segue to talking about the physicality of playing trumpet because and i'm I'm saying this because I'm speaking with a gal named Beth Peruka who is uh, we're doing a little kind of joint collaboration for the podcast and she's t- she's a personal trainer she's a former mm-hmm. trumpeter and now she's a personal trainer she's just killing it. She was talking about um, the physicality of playing trumpet, and I was wondering if you could share maybe some insights as to how you uh, help your students physically prepare for what is a very, very physically demanding profession.
1: Yeah. Beth is awesome. I actually went to school with Beth and her husband at the University of North Texas. And I've been inspired, uh, Beth, if you're listening, I've been inspired at seeing her her progress and her, uh, you know, uh, all she's done, it inspires me. I need to go exercise, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, um, physically, uh, another interview I did not so long ago, someone asked me, like, what school of teaching am I? And I sometimes I like to resist labels. Like, I don't want to say I'm just like this person. But, you know, most of my teachers have in some way come through Chicago. I mean, Jim Kleisner was a student of Chikowitz and Herseth and went to Northwestern and Southern Chicago Symphony. And at UNT, Keith Johnson uh, was in the Chicago school very much, if you've read The Art of Trumpet Playing. Later on, I studied with Charlie Geyer and Barbara Butler. Charlie Geyer said to me that when he saw Keith Johnson do a masterclass, it was like watching Vincent Chickowitz. It was just like a, a dead ringer for it. So a lot of my teachers have been in that aspect. Therefore, I have a big priority for breathing, and I'll be brief about breathing because, you know, we could do three hours on breathing. I like to keep it simple, so I'll try to be laconic and succinct here as I talk about breathing. I focus on the sound of the breath, number one, like Jacobs, like Keith Johnson, like Chickowitz, I say O, O O-H. You might say, why would you do that? To work on that turnaround of the in and the out of learning to take that natural relaxed breath and to focus on the sound of the inhalation. As Keith Johnson said, I forget, this is, this is in his book or if it's an ITG article, but it's like, Oh, is simple and it works. I find nine times out of 10, if you can focus on the OH breath and you can make sure they don't hold the breath before that the breath breathing process is twofold in and out, not in hold out, but in and out and that breath with a, that scale with a breath between every note is, is a good way to do that. In many cases, that's all you have to say about it. Uh, sometimes you have to go deeper, uh, certainly with graduate students, like in a trumpet literature, the university of Kentucky is a doctoral program. So we have, I have DMA students and certainly with those students, like in a graduate level trumpet literature class, we will talk about the diaphragm and isometric tension and in the intercostal muscles and all that. But for the purpose of like a sophomore trumpet lesson, if they can make the breath quiet, it's usually pretty good. Especially if they like get a breathing tube or a breathing bag, you know, and stuff like that. In terms of the physical part of it, getting the breathing figured out, I am not really a capacity breath person that says you have to take the biggest breath every single time and Mm -hmm. use as much air as possible. Actually, the, the older I get especially the more I hang around Vinci Martino. Let me say it this way. I want there to be as much air in my lungs as possible, but the actual air leaving my body, I try to use as little as possible. A word you used at the beginning, I forget if it was in the interview or the pre-show banter, but you talked about efficiency. In terms of efficiency, I find the less air I'm using, the more efficiently I'm playing. I'm not the kind of person that tries to pump lots of air through the trumpet. I try to take a comfortably full breath. You know, if you check out a great book by Christian Seenstrip called Teaching Brass, he actually talks in terms of like milliliters and liters in terms of how much air we use to play different notes on the trumpet. And it's shockingly low, relatively uh, a small amount of air.
0: What's the name of that book again?
1: Teaching Brass.
0: Teaching Brass. Okay
1: by Christian Steenstrip. It's a great book. And he also is a very much a Chicago school kind of teacher. I believe he went to Northwestern and studied with Jacobs and Chicowitz. It's a great book. It's pretty science-y. It's very science-y. But if you know anything about me, like I love that stuff. I mentioned being torn between like music and engineering or whatever. Like I, I just love to, to dig down in the details. Um, so So yeah, physically, breathing is really important taking a good breath, but not because playing the trumpet requires you to push huge volumes of air through the instrument. Largely what we do on the trumpet is convert air to sound, you know, is kind of what we're trying to do. So, yeah, a big part of efficiency for me is the air. And I guess if we're going to talk, stay on the topic of the physical part of trumpet playing, I've already mentioned posture, Alexander technique and stuff like that. If necessary, I'll talk about the embouchure. I I think the less said about the embouchure, the better in most cases. But I often find that talking about the embouchure in a really simple way can be very helpful. I like to think of in my own playing, playing with the smallest aperture possible Um, for me as a player personally. I try to be as efficient with my air as possible and as efficient with my lips as possible. Getting back to science, the closer the lips are together, certainly in terms of playing in the upper register, the easier it's going to be to get them to vibrate at a higher frequency. Um, And even playing softly, I think most people agree we use less air when we play softly. When you have less air and you still need the compression to get uh, response, your lips being closer together is is helpful for that as well. Those are some of the, I guess, physical things that that I would talk about. I don't know if you want to go deeper in any of those areas or not.
0: No, it's, it's I, I always like contrarian thoughts um, because there's no one right way of doing anything, and the so-called Chicago school is fine, and it has its place. But the illustration I always tell myself when it comes to using air is like, if, if I'm going to say to my wife, I love you, I'm not going to say... <gasps> I love you. I'm gonna, if anything, I'm going to exhale and say it. So it all depends on the situation. So if, you're gonna, if you have a big passage that requires a lot of air, then of course you want as much as possible. But if you're just going to play a couple of notes and, and too much air is going gonna, gonna to ruin the mood, of whatever you're playing, it's all dependent on the situation. And probably the, I'm, I'm sure that the advocates of this Chicago school, even the most staunch advocates would probably say something similar. Uh, we're running a bit long on the tooth here. So we have just a few more minutes left in our allotted time, but there's something that you said a few minutes ago that kind of piked my attention. And it is that you were <coughs> describing the level of detail with which you, uh, Explain or uh, teach the physicality of playing trumpet to your doctoral students. I, I don't even remember what you said, but you listed a bunch of muscles and a bunch of this and a bunch of that. It was very detailed, and I can imagine that those types of lessons and that type of instruction goes extremely detailed as far as the physicality, not to mention every other aspect of of the trumpet craft. My question is, do people ever acquire so much information to that level of detail, and then they get out into the real world and realize it's kind of like algebra. I'm never going to use this.
1: Well, I'll say this. You know, Arnold Jacobs used this phrase, paralysis through analysis. When you're actually playing the trumpet, you should not be thinking about any of those things. Those are things that you think about in the safe zone of an applied lesson and in the safe, controlled, artificial environment of a practice room. But when you're actually performing, you know, getting back to the psychological part of Alexander Technique, one of the examples of where Alexander Technique is not just how do you hold the trumpet or how do you stand or how do you sit? If you in the safe zone of a lesson or in the artificially controlled situation of a practice room, if you establish correct response... If you learn simple tasks and learn how to use your body correctly over and over through repeated repetition of very simple tasks, like taking a breath, Mm -hmm. like playing a scale where you take a breath after every single note. I do a lot of Richard Shubreck where I play extreme intervals um, and um, get really good at developing that kinesthetic memory. And you think about and have a very heightened self-awareness of how you're using your body. Then what you do is you establish this kinesthetic memory. You establish these habits. So then you go on stage and you just play your trumpet and you forget mm-hmm. about that stuff, you know. Right. Uh, and so I think the way I teach, the way I practice fundamentals, and the way I perform is very different. You know what I mean? I, I when I perform, I think about how it goes and what and what I want to communicate. I tell I tell my students, you know, there's. Various levels of developing on the trumpet. Getting back to my development, you know, like an elementary school band. In elementary school, actually, for a lot of people still in college, it's very much the eye to finger connection that people are concerned with. What does the note say? What button do I push down? I hope I don't push the wrong button down. Like a lot of people are, you know, really concerned with that eye to finger connection. But, you know, there's also that like mind and heart to finger connection. And there's all these different connections. But, you know, when I go to perform, it's that heart to audience connection. And that's all that matters. So I'm not thinking about the eye to finger connection when I perform. I'm not thinking about the respiratory muscles to the breathing process connection. When I perform and I encourage my students when they perform, to I just have fun. Every time when I have a student play a recital, I go backstage before the recital. Uh, I just had 10 students graduate. So I had a slew of people play degree recitals this past semester. And every time before recital, I always say, good luck, have fun. That's what I say. I don't say, no, make sure you use your intercostal muscles while you're playing tonight. You know, that, <laughs> that, that, that would be the worst thing I could say to them. I say have right. fun because it's about that heart to audience connection at that
0: point. I guess you practice so much that you're not aware of what you're doing. You're obviously doing it through muscle memory, but you're doing, you've done it so much that you're not aware that you're doing it. And so you can just focus on the music.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you perform, you're going to perform based on your habits. So are you performing based on those correct programmed responses that you have established in the practice room and in your lessons? Or are you performing based on all those bad habits that you, you know, that you let run out of control and run amok and have all this inefficiency in your playing? Um, when you go on stage your habits are going to affect that performance talking about things on a deep level. And, you know, one thing I should say, I, I gave the example of how you might talk about something like that with a DMA student or in a graduate trumpet pedagogy class. But to be honest, these things do come up with younger students as well. I I'm blessed to have really smart students at UK and freshmen will ask about this stuff. And, and with some of them, we, we talk about it. Um, and uh, it's funny. I have, I have a a student who's particularly astute and precocious when it comes to like the science of trumpet playing. I mean, I think he understands it better than I do. Speaking of Peter Pickett, this student happens to be a double major in trumpet performance and mechanical engineering, actually. So he's kind of like maybe a Peter Pickett in training. But I just like, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, sent him articles I found that are very detailed from like New American Science new American scientist journal. Oh, what's the one? There's an article from the eighties called science proves musical myths wrong. I forget what journal that was in, but it talks about mouthpiece pressure and all kinds of stuff like that. But I sent all this stuff to him and he's a sophomore, you know? So, uh, I think with the right student, you can, you can dig down because in many ways it might really motivate them to have this heightened self-awareness, but you have to be careful. And, you know, no two students are the same, and you have to be careful about getting too much into those details, because for some students, it can end up being paralysis through analysis.
0: Well, my guest has been Jason Dovel, professor of trumpet at University of Kentucky. JasonDovel.com, really great website. He's got uh, all kinds of uh, literature for sale, YouTubes, and I was just uh, getting ready for the interview. I was checking out some of the great stuff that his students are doing. My favorite of your website is the Into the Blue, by uh, I can't remember who wrote it.
1: Yeah, Kevin McKee. That's a perfect yes. piece for us because the athletic theme of, of UK is Go Big Blue. Mm. We have used that with trumpet ensemble. That recording is super old. We sort of should read all those kids of. They're all like band directors and college teachers now. They're all they're all graduated now. Uh, somehow that video, you know, YouTube is blocked in China. I have a student who plays in an orchestra in China now, and he sent me a video. That video has been like copied and uploaded to the China version of YouTube. So that, that's funny. People always mention that video. So, so thanks for your kind words about that.
0: This is James Newcomb signing off. Thank you so much for being on the show. Really, really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks for having me, James. It's been a pleasure.
0: Trumpet Dynamics tells the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. It also tells my own story. Join me on this journey through the world of making music and making life at jamesnewcombontrumpet.com. I have blogs, videos, event calendar, and much more. And of course, if you just want to access this great podcast, just remember the URL, trumpetdynamics.com, and you're off to the races. Looking forward to the next time. Be well.